Hebrews chapter number one. Let me say it's a joy to be back with you. It's been a little bit. And uh, so thankful to be in the house of God with you. Love this church. Love the people of God. Love your pastor and his family. And appreciate them. Appreciate his faithfulness and uh, some stickability. Amen. And so I appreciate that in him. Appreciate his friendship as well. And uh, we've been looking forward to it. It's a great time for us. Uh, we, we hit the ground running in January for some unknown reason. We are always slammed in January and uh, we're not complaining, but it is good just to get away and uh, we're here in revival meeting, but I feel like it's a vacation to some degree, so that's the way, that's the way we feel about it anyways, but it's a joy to see you new faces and uh, so thankful to see you here and uh, appreciate God's faithfulness. Uh, to this church. Looking forward to what God has in store for you here in the coming days. Amen. Hebrews chapter number one this morning, I am going to, I feel like I've got liberty to do this. Uh, I, I prayed about maybe doing something a little bit different, but I feel like that I'm going to be just sticking with a series this week. I think I preached a little bit of a series before, uh, but I believe... Uh, well, almost uh, the, the till Wednesday night may not be enough to get it all done. But anyways, we're just going to do our best and uh, try to get one every night if we can or every service. If we can't, we'll just pile them all up in something. Amen. But Hebrews chapter number one, you find your place, stand with me. We'll reverence the reading of the word of God and read this great chapter together. I believe Paul is the writer here of the book of Hebrews. And uh, probably through the pen of one of uh, uh, one of his uh, uh, servants there, one of his men, uh, Timothy, or it could have been Silas, or one of those men writing this down. But uh, Paul, I believe, is the one speaking here, and he's writing this great book to the book of Hebrews, and uh, he is going to be dealing with a phrase that is going to be the fulfillment of some prophecy all the way back in the book of Psalms. And that is really where I'm going to focus with, and then we're going to take this verse and use it as a springboard for our thought, and then uh, hopefully we'll be in that thought through the rest of the week. We're not going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 all the rest of the week, but we will be on this theme. But, but, but Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Man, I like that, amen. Because if you remember, he was made a little lower than the angels. 
That means he came to where we were at. He took upon him the form of a servant. He took on him the robe of a flesh and was made like unto sinful flesh. He was not sinful flesh, but made like unto sinful flesh. But now, praise God, now that he's on the right hand of the majesty on high, he's been made so much better than the angels as he hath by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. By the way, that name is still Jesus. Amen. Amen. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? The answer is none. None of the angels has he ever said that to. It's always been his son. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, but unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth the garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be saved by the good grace of God. So thankful again for Calvary. So thankful, Lord, for the blood, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that purchased our redemption and provided our reconciliation unto God. So thankful, Lord, for the privilege out of the O's to be in the house of God this morning. Lord, I ought to be dead and in hell this morning. I ought to be under the wrath and judgment of God. But Lord, I'm so thankful that mercy passed by my way and grace lifted me up out of the muck and mire of sin. I'm so thankful, dear Lord, for the change that was brought in our life. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity now to be able to serve you in these days. God, I pray now that as we try to sound and handle the word of God that you would fill us now with your power. Give us that anointing that only comes from thee. I pray that you might allow the words of our mouth to come forth clearly. I pray, Father, that you give us reception in our heart and in our mind. I pray that you allow utterance and unction to be given. May the Spirit of God have liberty. I ask for that one that's lost on the way to hell. God, would you save them? Touch that one that's not right with you, but with hidden sin. May they get right. Touch the child of God we are in well doing. I pray that you would strengthen our faith and establish our goings and allow us truly to be better Christians than we've ever been this year for the glory and the honor of God. May your will be done now in the remainder of the service. May in all things you receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We're focused here upon this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to be looking, really, in verse number 3. 
uh, and verses number uh, verses number uh, thirteen. And that is in verse number three, where the Bible says, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And again, verse number 13, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And again, verse number eight, but unto the Son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. It is a fulfillment, a direct fulfillment found of prophecy found in Psalms chapter number 110 and verse number one, where the Bible says, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so if I can for a little while and for this week, I'm gonna focus uh, on this thing. When Jesus sits down. When Jesus sits down. We begin with this thought I want to begin to express to you and there's going to be a lot of teaching involved and a lot of preaching here and there. Amen. And uh, so I want to try to deal with is look at the division of the Trinity. Now we understand before we ever grasp what's going on and the direction that the Lord's allowed us to go with this, I need you to understand some things. God is a triune being. Do we all agree? Yes. Amen. amen. You can say amen. All right, I'll, I can say amen myself too. Uh, but he's a triune being. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They're a triune being. And all three persons are found in one personality and that one manifestation, that is God. Yet as God, and with his three persons, as God, he can manifest himself in three separate different identities, personalities, and manifestations. That's because he's God. You can't do it. He's a spirit, amen. But as God, and God as spirit, he can manifest himself in those three different persons. So as we look at the division of God, we understand it is still all God, amen, and he's the one getting the glory in all of this. But as we consider the division of the Trinity and focus upon the man Jesus, amen, the son of God, we must understand, yes, they are one and the same, but they are completely different. And they have different roles. They have different uh, positions, if you will, of the Godhead. And so you've got to keep that in mind. And this is the reason why we are looking at where the Lord said to my Lord. You get that? The Lord, God Jehovah, said to my Lord, the Savior, the Lord, the Christ. Sit thou on my right hand. This reference is referring to when Jesus approaches the throne of God after he has completed his earthly ministry. We understand that his earthly ministry begins with the incarnation of uh, by his virgin birth. 
Then it began with his perfection in life, his humiliation in suffering, his satisfaction in death, his glorification in being resurrected, his presentation in the glory, his confirmation to his disciples, his ascension back into the heavens, his representation here with the Spirit of God, and his anticipation of the return of Christ. This all entitles and encompasses the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the earthly ministry, I'm going somewhere, just got to stay with me, amen. About the beginning of his earthly ministry in Luke chapter number one, as Mary has given the promise of Jesus being born, she, the angel spoke to Mary and said, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom shall, shall, there shall be no end. And so we understand that at the very beginning in fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament prophecies at the very beginning of his earthly ministry at his birth at his very at his uh, at, at the very promise of his birth God is solidifying the prophecies that he's made I am going to give to my son a throne God promised him a throne now are you still with me God promised him a throne. We understand that Jesus came and because of Old Testament prophecy, the entire Old Testament saints, even the saints that are there when Jesus shows up onto the scene, only sees one Savior. And that is the Savior that is gonna come deliver them from the hand of Rome. It was not the one to come save them from their sin. Do you understand that? The prophets only could see one thing. They saw Jesus coming and they saw him sitting upon a throne. That's all they saw. That's why the disciples were eager about this kingdom getting set up. They just didn't realize that the kingdom he came to set up was not the kingdom of God upon this earth, but it was the kingdom of heaven in man's heart. They didn't get that just yet. Amen. They got it later. Amen. But, after, but as he is understanding that God is, has promised him a throne, they automatically began considering that he was come to sit upon the throne at Jerusalem. But he was not come to sit upon that throne just yet. We know that he will, but he's not coming for that yet. He came, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. As a matter of fact, the reason why, and I'll throw this little nugget out there to you, the reason why the Jews have such a problem with the book of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53, is because they believed that there was actually, there was some, some that believed that there were actually two messiahs. They could not reconcile that the Son of God that was going to be coming, the Messiah, was coming to suffer when they knew he was coming to reign. So they could not get in their mind a reigning Messiah and a suffering Messiah. That's why they have a problem with Isaiah 53. They also understand, it also gives you some clarification, just throw this little nugget out there too, why John the Baptist was asking, Art thou him? Or do we seek for another? 
In other words, they had in their mind, are you, are, is, is both, we, we've got in our mind, you're coming to suffer and you're coming to reign. Are you the whole package or is there two of you? That's what it was. So he wasn't doubting. He wasn't in doubt and disbelief. He just wanted a clarification. Are you the whole deal? And he was. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad his ways are so much higher than our ways? Amen. Amen. He's got all things under control. And so as the, as the Messiah, he came to bleed and die for the sins of man. And he did that so that he might rescue man from himself. That he might sit upon the throne of our heart and, and redeem us through the blood that he provided at Calvary. We understand and I can preach and preach and preach about Calvary tonight. Uh, but, or this morning, but I don't. We don't have time for that. I need to step on a little further and get into more grace here in just a second. Now, as Jesus provided the ransom and the redemption for the souls of man, we understand that he was buried into the ground. Three days later, he's risen, as they sang about just a moment ago. As he is risen, he stopped long enough to speak to Mary to let her know that let her know that. He he was truly alive. Yet he said, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended my father. What he have in tow? He had a perfect body and he had a perfect blood. Amen. Amen. And as he ascended to the father, he came into the throne room with the payment. Amen. And with our pardon. The payment was secured by the blood, but our pardon was supplied by a body. Amen. That's why he had to be sacrificed. That's why his blood had to be shed was to provide our complete redemption in himself. Now as he comes in and provides the blood he puts the blood upon the mercy seat and that mercy now is in our behalf. Man's sin can be taken away. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin because that sacrifice was made in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came back, confirmed himself to the disciples that he truly was alive, gave them the great commission and then once again for the final time he ascended back up to the Father. But this time when he marched in, amen, there was a victory lap to be had. As he marched in, he marched in the author and the finisher of our faith. He marched in as the redeemer, amen, the submitted son, now being glorified. He that was made a little lower, it's now being lifted up. He that was uh, suffered, satisfied God. And God saw fit to magnify him. How'd he do that? As soon as Jesus enters into the portals of glory, what I want you to see in your heart and mind is the throne of God. And directly to the right of that throne is yet another throne. It is not one and the same. It says on the right hand of the throne, right hand of the majesty, on the right side, and God looked at his son in whom he's well pleased, and here's what he said. Sit thou on my right hand till I make all your enemies your footstool. Now, he's giving him a seat. Here's what takes place in Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 11. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now here's what I want to notice. I want to notice this morning this throne that he is seated upon. Notice the appointment of the throne. Now, Mark chapter number 16. Soon then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up in heaven and sat on the right hand of God. It was through the acceptance of God and the presentation of the blood and the body that God honored his son by allowing him such a prestigious position at the very right hand of his throne. It was a position that was delegated by the king. It was given as a purpose and a fulfillment of an office. You need to understand this. This throne that he's seated upon is not a king's throne. Are you hearing me? Y'all still with me? It's not a king's throne. He promised him a king's throne, but this ain't the throne that he promised him. This is a throne of administration. Are you hearing me? There's a pointed throne. God appointed him here. And there is a motive behind it. In Acts chapter number two, as Peter is preaching in that great sermon, as he is discussing, uh, as he's discussing the Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, he said, this Jesus hath God raised up. Well, we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath set forth this which we now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on the right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know as surely that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. So the position of this throne that is upon the right hand is the position of and the declaration of being Lord and Christ. From the beginning, God has promised Jesus the throne of David. This is not the throne of David. This is a completely different throne. Right now, the Son of Man, the Son of God, he is seated this morning, not upon God's throne, that's God's. He's not upon the sovereign throne. He's upon a throne that is set at the right hand of the throne of God. Are you listening? It is not a seat of a king. But it is a seed of a prince. Amen. This will start making sense in a minute, I hope, anyways. It is not a seed of spectation. It is not a seed of observation or relaxation. But this seat and its position at the right hand of the throne of God is a seat of authority, of activity, and of great administration. So let's consider the administration of the throne. 
the administration of this throne. Let me begin by asking or making this, uh, making this clear. We understand where Jesus is seated. He sat down. But may I ask for you to search in your mind and in your heart upon what is he seated? I've called it the throne because that's the only thing I can find in the word of God. But what is he seated upon? We find an answer again looking at the administration. We find Peter in chapter number five again is preaching and says we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hang on the tree. Him that God excited with his, exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witness of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. In Hebrews chapter number four, we, give, we are given insight upon the seat that he is seated. Chapter number four, verse number 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto what? The throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace, amen, to help in time of need. So what is the seat that he's seated on at the right hand of the throne of God? I tell you what it is. It's the throne of grace. Praise God. Amen. Understand again, it's not a king's throne, but it is a throne. So it does magnify his office. No, not as king, not yet. But it does magnify him as prince. He is the son of the king. He is the heir to the throne. So this throne magnifies his position as prince. That's who he is. Amen. He is prince. But Peter said he's also the savior. Amen. That's why it's called the throne of grace. The prince is going to deal with that grace, that favor. But that priest, amen, is being magnified in grace. Hallelujah. And that mercy is being magnified. Forgiveness is the realm of that priest. And here's what we find out. As he is seated upon the right hand of the throne of God, seated upon the throne of grace, he is seated as prince. Amen. The champion of our faith. But he's also seated as our priest. He's seated there as the savior of the world. He's there right now, amen, and ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. There is an administration, administration of the throne. This gets bigger than I can think. But here's what you need to understand. He was prince and he was priest. Are you hearing me? He was prophet, but that prophet that office has been fulfilled in the fact that he came to the ministry and he preached the gospel. Amen. It's still being fulfilled by the Holy Ghost, but it's no longer Jesus here upon this earth that is preaching it. So the prophet has been passed to the Holy Ghost and to the man of God. At right now, he has a twofold administration. Amen. A twofold administration, or if you want to get three, I can give you three. But there, it involves him being the priest and him being the prince. Now, 
as this is coming together, here is our prophecy in Psalms chapter 1, 10, verse number 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he, God, who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This does not refer to David. You need to understand that because some people like throwing David in there. But David was never given the role of a priest. Never. Never. He was never allowed to receive tithes or anything of the sort. This prophecy is clearly speaking of one greater than David. Melchizedek in Hebrew revolves and means my king is righteous. Melchizedek united the offices of the priest and the king in Zion. Amen. And by the way, God swore an oath saying that his son was going to be a priest not after the order of Aaron, not after the line of Aaron, but after Melchizedek, this keist priest who lives forever. And so Jesus Christ has now been given a role. He has been given an administration. Let me stop right here and say this. I am amazed, Brother Jason, when I study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the submission that Jesus had to his Father. You think about this for just a minute, and this ought to, this ought to warm your heart. But you think about the fact, I know we, we say, we sing the songs, God looked through all of heaven looking for someone who was worthy, someone who could go and, uh, and be the Lamb of God and Jesus raises his hands and he volunteers to go, but that ain't the case. No. God said, you're going. I'm giving you an exchange for them because I love them. You know what Jesus did because he loved the Father? I understand the one and the same, but you need to understand they're completely different manifestations. And here's what Jesus did for you and for me. He submitted himself to the will of the Father and he became obedient even to the death of the cross. And he obeyed his Father's will. Yes, yes, he prayed in the, in the garden. Lord, if it be your will. God, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Thy will be done. And so God, Jesus, God the Son, became obedient to God the Father and he died. Now, God has exalted him. He has magnified him, given him a name above every name. That if the name of Jesus, every knee he's gonna bow, every tongue's gonna confess that he is the Lord. But now listen to me. God's offered, made him a promise, made him a covenant to make him a king. But it ain't there yet and it ain't time yet. So guess what Jesus is doing in heaven? He's still submitted to the Father. He's still submitted to the will of God. He said, I know you've completed everything I've told you to do. Now I just need you to wait a little bit longer and sit right here on my right hand. Let me magnify you. Let me exalt you. But sit right here and do the will that I have for you to do. Jesus is busy still about the Father's business. Now think about it as his position is being magnified by being the throne of grace, in that seat 
I want you to understand the administration that he's given. Now, to get this, to get this, we have to look further into what he is seated on. What is the throne of grace? My mind began to run and began to think about the throne of grace. Well, I looked at that word throne. And again, it does not mean a king's throne. But it means a seat. Again, a seat of administration. Well, the administration is giving us in clarification grace. But if you look at the word grace and you look at the rest of the context of that verse, what are we finding there at the throne of grace? We're finding mercy. So you put seat in there for throne and you put mercy there with grace and you know what you have? You have a seat of mercy. Well, let me say this. When you get back over there to the tabernacle in the Old Testament, what you find is that God set up a, a portrayal here upon this earth of what's already over there in the heavens. Everything from the cherubims, everything from the seraphims, everything from the mercy seat, the glory of God, all of that's being portrayed in the temple. Now, at the temple, back down inside the Holy of Holies, there is a mercy seat sitting upon the ark of God. And upon that ark, are you hearing me? I'm just, I, two rabbits just jumped out, amen. amen. I'm gonna have to chase them down. Here's what you find inside that ark. You find the 10 commandments. God's precept. You find the manna, God's provision. You find the rod, God's power. You find it all inside that ark. Guess what? As much as it magnifies him, it destroys you and me because the only thing we could ever find inside that ark when we look at the precept is how much you've disobeyed the commandment. And when you look at the power of God, how much you failed. When you look at his provision, how dissatisfied we are. So all you see is man failure. But on top of everything, praise God, there's a mercy seat. And upon the mercy seat is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so above all of our failures, it's being covered by that mercy seat. Now, it's the mercy seat. When God established the mercy seat, here's why he did it. It wasn't just to put the blood on the mercy seat, although that's the role. That's where the forgiveness is. But here's why he told them to put that mercy seat on top of that ark. He said, for when you do that, that's where... I'm going to come down and I'm going to speak to you. <laughs> oh, here's what he said. Here's what he said in Leviticus. He said, he said, speaking of thy end of thy brother, that he come not at all times of the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which upon the heart that he died not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Again, Numbers. And when Moses was going to the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him, listen now, from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims, and he spake unto him. So here's what would happen. When the blood was put there for the remission of sin and the glory of God would fill that tabernacle. Here's what God would do as he met with man to deal with his sin. The cloud, the presence of God would come 
and literally, Brother Jason, sit down on that mercy seat. You understand, when I say mercy seat, literally, all it is on that ark is a seat. I mean, it's not made just to sit there. I mean, they put the blood on top of it, but that's it. It was just a seat. Amen. Why would God make something like that? Unless it was to signify that somebody's sitting down here. Oh, man. Listen now. That's what the, that's what the office was. Now, Jesus, at this point in time in the Old Testament, is still within the bosom of his father. They're still one and the same. When he's, what you find him in the creation, you see the Spirit of God moving, you find God there. You don't see the Lord Jesus, you only hear him. He's the Word, amen. In the beginning was the Word, amen. The Word was with God, the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. He was the Word. He was the voice that spoke, amen. Praise God. Now, as he sits down in that seat of administration, <laughs> here, Here's what he was doing. God, God was in the office of priest as he dealt with man's sin. That's why it was so fearful because it was God the judge who sat upon that throne, who sat upon that mercy seat. But now, but now, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Merciful, Jesus full of love, amen, went into the throne room and presented the sacrifice of his body and his blood. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And God the Father told his son, sit right here, right there. That's where it belongs, by the way, amen. That's where the blood would go, amen, as Jesus then, as he had the blood and he has the body, now he sits down upon the throne. And by the way, he hasn't lost sight of the blood. He still got it, amen. But when he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God, what God did, he said, I'm no longer dealing with the sins of man. I'm no longer coming down in the clouds to deal with their sin when they offer sacrifice. Now it's you. Amen. Oh my Amen. goodness. I'm telling you, you're talking about a fearful thing. It was a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. It was a fearful thing to have God seated upon that throne. But now, amen, there remaineth no more sacrifice. This man, when he'd offered the final sacrifice for sin, sat down. And now he ever lives to do one thing. It's not to bring you into condemnation. It ain't to bring judgment and wrath and cause a fire to fall down. He's there to do one thing, and that is to intercede in your behalf to grant mercy and help and grace Amen. in your time of need. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given us the ministry, the ministry or the administration of reconciliation. How did this happen? To wit, that God was in Christ. God uh, stepped into his son. I'm about to have a conniption right here, right now, buddy. 
But God coming to his son and with his son and through his son, he couldn't, see God couldn't have touched you. God, you hear me? Brother Jason, God couldn't get to where we were at. He was too holy. He was too perfect. He was too pure. And he could have no connection between you and between you and him. There was none. Oh, we were separated from God, separated from the love of God, and there's no way to get back to him. Not that we could do, nothing that he could do. But then God sent his son, made in the likeness of sinful flesh, to become sin for us. Jesus became the mediator. And all the way that took place is, is God set forth his son to be a propitiation. Do you know what that word, the word there, propitiation means? The word propitiation in that verse means this. Mercy seat. Do you understand what that means? Amen. We couldn't get to him before. But when God went through his son, he grabbed a hold of you. Only it ain't God, it's Jesus, amen. And what Jesus was able to do is get a hold of you and have a hold of God. And he who knew no sin, he couldn't even be touched by skin. Are you hearing me? He's so holy and so pure, but he's the mediator. He's the testator, are you hearing me? Hallelujah. Grab the hold of me and grab the hold of God and he reconciled both in himself. That's why we have the New Testament. Amen. The New Testament exists. This work of grace exists because it took the death of the testator. It took the death of the middle man. Do you understand what took place? Jesus came in and brokered the deal between you and God. And just so God didn't have to pay and you didn't have to pay, he paid it. And so God now has set him upon the throne at the right hand and given him the administration of being a priest and a prince. Amen. Amen. The priest it is going to deal with the subject of atonement. The work of redemption. The work of repentance. It'll deal with the payment. It'll deal with purification. And it will deal with forgiveness. Are you hearing me? Amen. We could go to Hebrews chapter number 7 and read about the evidence of Jesus and the priesthood after the similitude of Melchizedek. This high priest became us. Amen. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm about to have a shouting fit. Who needeth not daily as those other high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sin and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. By the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son which, who is consecrated forevermore. Now these things which we have spoken, this is the sum. This is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched 
and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat else, somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest. Seeing that, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example in the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, he saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises for that first covenant had been full, had been faultless then should no place have been sought for the second but praise God he established the second Amen. otherwise we'd all be bringing a lamb and a dove or a goat or a bullock amen to the house of God today but this man offered the final payment for sin in himself and when Jesus sat down right now right now the blood is on the mercy seat praise God now amen the blood's there. He's the high priest. What does that mean? That means this morning, if you're lost without God, you ain't got to bring a sacrifice for your sin. Praise God. You ain't got to bring a list of good works. You ain't got to bring a list of good behavior. You ain't got to have it signed off by your pastor. Amen. Praise God. The only thing you've got to cling to is the promise, amen, and the fulfillment of Jesus Christ himself in the fact that he paid sin's debt for you, provided sin's payment and sin's pardon for you and himself, and right now he is seated. And my friend, as a sinner, you can come to Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, and right now the blood is on the mercy seat. You preach, I can't get to God. No, you can't get to God in yourself. There ain't nothing you can do to get you to God. But Jesus did everything that's needed to be done. God's only satisfied in his son. Just come to him. Come to the right hand of the throne of God where the blood is on the mercy seat. You can find forgiveness for your sin. Child of God, you don't have to live under dominion of sin any longer. Why? Because Jesus sat down, that's why. Hallelujah, Jesus sat down and he's seated there this morning on the right hand. I'm telling you, he is there making intercession right now as the priest. He's taken upon that administration and he's taken upon the authority as prince. Now, this doesn't deal with redemption, it deals with reconciliation. This doesn't deal with forgiveness. It deals with favor. It doesn't deal with our purchase and the payment. It deals with our pardon and our position. Amen. Romans 8, verse number 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth that his stripes and died? Yea, brethren, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter nay all these things we are more than conquerors more than conquerors I don't know about you conquerors sounded pretty good but he said we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what does that mean? What's all that dealt with? You ever felt like you had failed God to the point that he was so just displeased with you, you thought he was done? Yeah, that's a snare of the devil. You know why? Because whether you do good or whether you do bad doesn't change God's look at you. We ought to be shouting all over this building. We just consider the sin we've done this past week, this past month. How about this past year? You hear me? All the times we failed God and messed up. We thought for sure God's done with us. I'm not saying that God's not displeased with sin. Only problem is he never sees me in sin. He just sees me in Christ. Now, here's the wonderful part about this. Here's the wonderful part about this. Again, again, God gave him the seat. He gave him this administration, gave him this position, gave him this authority as he exalted him. As Prince and Christ, Lord and Savior. We see him as the Savior, we saw him as the Christ and his role as the Prince. Now look at him as, prince, as priest. Now look at him as a Prince. He's seated there. To his left hand is the King. Now, what I found out in medieval history in that kind of set up authority and throne with kings, here's what they would do to try to rein in the authority of a king, especially when he had a son that was going to take over the throne in his father's stead. What they would do to begin to prepare that son to reign and be the king that he should be, what they would do is they would give him a delegation. They would give him a prince's throne, a prince's seat, and give him administration. And here's what that administration would be. They would give him administration concerning the law. And here's what he would do. He would sit down in his seat as judge. And what they would bring is they would bring in every lawbreaker, every felon, every thief, every murderer, every last one that was guilty of breaking the law. They did not trouble the king with it. They allowed the prince under delegated authority 
from the king to deal with man's transgression of the law and the kingdom's lawbreakers. And by that position, he had the power to lock them up, to forgive, grant pardon, or convict. Y'all see a big picture right there, don't you? Y'all done got way ahead of me. Jesus now sits upon the throne and he sits upon that prince's throne and sinner after sinner after sinner has made their way to this throne where they were unworthy and they were guilty of breaking the law. And by the way, it's such a perfect law that God said if you broke one jot, one tittle, if you broke one point of the law, you was guilty of the whole thing. So this liar and this thief, a seven-year-old boy, though I was, was guilty of hell and judgment and wrath, just like the drunk, just like the thief, just like the murderer. That's what I was guilty of. But when I came to him, hallelujah, when I came to him expecting to find judgment, all I found was mercy because when I got to that throne, the blood was there and crying out for mercy. The penalty was there and Jesus looked upon me, had mercy on me, had pity on me, looked at his father, realized there's no way I could ever get to God. So he took off his garment man, took off his garment and put it upon me, robed me up, washed me in his blood and presented me to the Father and the Father looked toward me and he saw me and he said, man, he looks just like you. Put him over here. By the way, by the way, guess where I'm seated this morning? I'm seated with with Christ in heavenly places. Hallelujah this morning. I'm seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. I'm a son and heir to the throne. Amen. Now I don't know about you, but that's big. Amen. He's given us a position. Guess what I am this morning? I'm a prince. Oh, I don't look like much this morning, but I'm a prince. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And as the role of being a priest and a prince, his administration is in that found in that word propitiator. Propitiator. Again, that word propitiation, meaning that mercy seat. What that means is, is we have an advocate. And this doesn't describe his forgiveness or his favor. This describes his faithfulness. Whew. I don't know if I can preach this or not. Amen. When you go to the courtroom... At least it usually is like this. I don't know if it changed it or not. If it changed it, don't tell me. It'll run the illustration. When you go to the courtroom and you got the judge seated in the middle, 
upon the high seat. And directly to the right, the right hand of that judge is the prosecutor. He's the accuser. By the way, there he is still the accuser of the brethren. And apparently according to Job, he's got access to the room. And so this morning, the sin that you committed this week that you haven't got right with God yet, there's been a voice in the ear of God from the accuser accusing you of every trespass, of every wicked thought, of every internal wicked desire. He knows you. He knows what you did. And He's bringing accusation after accusation. Only one problem. He's no longer doing it from the right side of the throne. Because when Jesus said, when God told to Jesus, my son, sit thou on my right hand, he replaced the accuser of the brethren with his son, who is the defender of the brethren. Amen. And so now God's ears ain't being filled with accusation anymore. Amen. But every time you sin and the accuser comes before the judge, the son's whispering in the ear of the father. Yeah, but I paid the debt for that sin. Amen. I know he failed you. Look over here. Look over here. I please you in everything I did. Oh, no, he messed up. But Lord, I fulfilled every demand, everything you wanted me to do. I did it all. And every time God would be provoked by the devil, he looked down there and he's just pleased and overwhelmed and blessed because of his son. Praise God. Let me say something. Right now, you ain't confess that sin. You ain't got right with God. Maybe one here ain't right with God this morning. Guess what? The accuser's still running your name, bringing your name up in the presence of God, trying to bring accusation. But Jesus this morning is still seated on the right hand. He's still bringing the defense for your case. He's taking him back to Calvary every single day. Oh my goodness. He's taking him back to Calvary, letting him know the debt was paid, letting him know that you'll respond. That's why he deals with you in love. That's why the Holy Ghost, the minister of God, is drawing you, drawing you back to him to reconcile you with God. Amen. You can get right with God tonight or this morning. Amen. He's obtained the eternal pleasure of God as our advocate, but also as our advocate, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Man. He knows you better than you know yourself. My advocate has gained favor with the judge understands me better than myself. Who could have asked for a better defender? Oh my. Praise God. I'll give you the last two and we're done. My voice is about shot. The abundance of the throne. Psalm 16 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore.
Amen. We have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Seated on the right hand of the throne of God, we're seated with him. We're in Christ. Amen. Aren't you glad you're on the right side if you're saved by the grace of God? On the right side, he's given us a life of sanctification, subjection, and supplication. And in him, we find him to be all sufficient. He has granted us the abundance of this throne now because of his administration. He has given us the path that is seen, that's his guidance. The presence that stirs, that's his glory. The power that supplies, that's grace. Pleasure that satisfies, that's his goodness. And the possession that is shared, that's his greatness. Amen. It's an abundant position. He has access to all of that in our behalf. Amen. Let me give you this, I'm done. The attention upon the throne, upon this throne now. Matthew chapter 26, chief priests and elders in the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, answers thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. I want you to notice something. Notice who they saw. You would think in your mind they'd be focused on the one who sat upon the throne, God the judge. But Jesus said you ain't going to notice him. The only thing you're going to notice is the Son of Man who's seated on the right hand. The crowd that's going to see him, that's going to have their attention on the throne, is the forsaking pretender. There's going to come a day, he's going to come back. Heaven's going to split wide open. Church is going to be raptured out of here. And then there's coming a day, he's coming back again after that tribulation period. And all of Israel. By the way, three and a half years in, when the heavens were open, the angel came out, whoa, 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 upon the face of the earth, excuse me, of the face of the earth, for the for the seals haven't, or the trumpets haven't sounded, that seventh trumpet. Here's what they did. They started calling out for the mountains to fall down on them. Why? To hide them from the face, not of God, Jehovah, but the Lamb of God the Lamb of God. They will look at Him. They'll have their focus upon Him because they'll recognize Him. A world that's never seen Him will recognize Him in that day. The forsaking pretender, the faint participant, 
Amen. Hebrews 12, verse number one. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Faint participant, you faint. You faint this morning. Will you look, put your attention upon the throne and realize he's seated there as priest and as prince and everything you need. That seat is abundant, has everything you need. And then the attention of this song is going to be for that faithful pilgrim. Praise God. Who, when they come to the end of their day, step into glory. Their focus, their focus is going to be on the right hand. I'll prove it. Acts chapter number seven, a man full of the Holy Ghost by the man named Stephen looked up steadfastly into heaven as they stoned him to death. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus. Only this time he ain't seated there. But the Bible says he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I believe this. I believe Jesus is seated there this morning. But I believe every child of God that's been faithful, that's been faithful, that served the Lord and loved Him and loved to see His appearing. I believe as they crossed over the river Jordan and stepped through the portal of death, I believe as soon as their faith becomes sight, they're going to see the Lamb of God not seated but standing on the right hand and their attention is going to be on the Lord that they served, the Lord that they were faithful to, the Lord that they loved, the Lord that purchased them, pardoned them, provided everything they needed, their attention is going to be on the right hand of the throne as they look to the Lamb of God. Amen. 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 I'm going to recognize him. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. From the seven spirits which before sown from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and have made us kings and priests and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. And made us kings and priests unto God and his Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kings of the earth shall wail because of him. And John said, even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, said the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, 
the Almighty. He's seated upon the throne. Upon that throne, the throne, I don't know if I even gave you the title, the throne of redemption. He's seated upon that throne and that seat of appointment, that seat of administration, that seat of authority, that seat of atonement, the seat of abundance. It's coming today, all attention is going to be given to him that sits upon that throne. But I got news for you. Right now, there's mercy. Right now, there's grace. Right now, he ever lives making make intercession. But there's coming a day. He's coming up off of that throne. And when he comes up off of that throne, it'll be the last time. It'll be the last time. But when he comes up off that throne for the last time, preacher, he's coming for me and you. <laughs> Praise God. When he comes off of that throne, he's coming for the bride. The bride of Christ. Now listen to me. When that moment happens, he will never, once again, never be seated on the mercy seat. Mercy and grace will be finished. This administration, this ministry of reconciliation will be over. Can't get saved. Can't get rescued. Could be today. Could be today. God look over to His Son and say, it's time, boy. Go get your bride. If that day were to happen right now, are you ready? Because if you're left, you're left to fight, face the wrath and the judgment of God like this world's never seen before. And there is no mercy to run to. No throne of grace. No advocate anymore. No intercessor. No mediator. That ministry is finished when he gets up off of that throne. But right now, he ever lives. Make intercession. He wants to save you. Preacher, you come. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.